this Black History Month, I'm reminded of the many black people and black voices who have changed and impacted history with their bravery, prayers, intellect, and activism. These tools were often used by black people to liberate oppressed victims from the systemic oppression they experience. African-American Christians are stewards of the longest, most successful heritage of pro-justice, pro-equality, pro-love activism the country, the world has ever seen. From the fight to abolish slavery, through the efforts at reconstruction, through the classic civil rights movement, African Americans, a great many who were Christians, have taught and forced the country to live up to its highest ideals. Consider this example. Ida B. Wells, born July 6, 1862, and departing this earth March 25, 1931. She was a journalist. She was part of the anti-lynching crusade, co-founder of the NAACP. Wells was born to slave parents in Holly Springs, Mississippi. She was educated at Rust University, high school in industrial school for former slaves established in Holly Springs in 1866 and went on to study at Fix University. Her earliest jobs were in the teaching field. In, 1980, in, in 1892, she became part owner of the Mississippi Free Speech. On March 9th of that year, she printed an article that denounced the lynching of three of her friends accused of raping three white women. Her article angered many Memphis whites, and she was forced out of town. The office of the Memphis Free Speech were destroyed by an angry mob. This event, this event launched her lifelong career as an anti-lynching crusader and pioneer journalist. She traveled across the country and Europe to protest lynching, called for the establishment of the anti-lynching legislation, and exposed racial injustice. In 1910, she helped co-found the NAACP. She served as some of the leading papers of her era, including the New York Age, the Chicago Defender, the Chicago The Conservator, a paper jointly owned by her husband. She died on March 25, 1931. Friends, Ida B. Wells, I was a summer up in one word, which I think is impossible. She was a liberator. She was a liberator. And, and, and I do want to highlight that, 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 that I purposely handpicked a woman. Because oftentimes when it comes to the liberating efforts of African Americans, sometimes our black women get overlooked. You ought to dig into some of their lives and find, you'll find such gold, such, such wisdom, such tenacity in these women. There are not many people who live a life that lives on after them. That is, although they are not physically present, the sound of their voices reverberates to this day. Their fingerprints are all over our present world, from school 
to government. Yes, and to the drinking sessions in front of the liquor store. Their bravery, their lives, lives in our hearts. Their love gives us light in the night. Their courage links with ours and helps us to stand for what is right to the glory of God. Very few people have that kind of impact, ladies and gentlemen. But it seems that throughout history, God chooses certain people to stand up and stand out to bring his will to pass in a unique way. And we start a series today on a man outside of Jesus, I don't know, who has impacted the world the most. A man called to stand up and stand out to bring God's will to pass. He is a biblical man. He's a judge. He's a leader. He's a prophet. He's a psalmist. And God's chosen leader, his name is Moses. I want to preach from this thought. Chosen Moses. Sorry, y'all. Had to do it. Thank you. I appreciate that amen and that agreement out there. Hey, there's another one. And we will, for the next few months, study his life and legacy. Please get the Ten Commandments movie out of your head. I want you to take that Ten Commandments movie, and I want you to kick it as far as you can. I want you to get that image of Moses coming down the mountain with that petroleum jelly on his face, and they had it shine. That wasn't glory. That was Vaseline. There's a difference, Corey, between Vaseline and glory. And some of y'all like to grease up before y'all come to church, but we know, we know, we know. More seriously, there is not very much light or superficial about the life of Moses. He was incredibly quintessential figure in Israel's story and in all of human history. He is revealed by Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, though in different ways. The law he received at Mount Sinai is the moral framework for most of the world to this day. Biblically, he is the most significant persona in the Old Testament. He leads Israel out of Egypt. He receives the law on Mount Sinai. He led them for 40 years in the wilderness right up to the edge of the promised land. He wrote most of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is the Old Testament Paul. As a child, he was adopted into the royal family of the greatest empire of his day, and Moses is mentioned nearly 700 times in Scripture. One writer says, take him for all in all. Regard him not in one, but many aspects. Moses is the greatest character in history, sacred or profane. Who can tell me what is wrong with that statement? There is someone greater than Moses. Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. For Jesus has been, according to Hebrews, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all of God's houses of servants to testify to the things that were to be spoke later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Moses was an amazing man of God, prophet and leader of Israel, which Hebrews describes as faithfulness in God's house as a servant. An amazing servant Moses was, but there is a huge difference between a servant and a son. Moses is the servant. Jesus is the, Jesus is the what? 
Moses is the house of God. Jesus is over the house of God. You say Moses too. That's right. Moses is great. Jesus is, y'all remember in math, right? The greater lesser sign, right? Jesus is over the house of God. Moses is great. Jesus is greater. Or, as I'm going to say throughout this series, if you like Moses, you'll love Jesus. As great as Moses was, he wasn't perfect. He doubted God. He complained to God. He was fearful at times. Amen, somebody. I love when we get down to the humanity of these biblical characters. It gives me a little a bit of hope because because if Moses can fail, then Dexter can fail and be all right. If Moses even, watch this, Moses even disobeyed God. Anybody in the room ever disobeyed God? It should have been an amen from everybody in the room. If you didn't say amen, you may not be saved. As great as a leader as he was, Israel refused to follow his leadership at critical moments. That gave every pastor hope. They grumbled against Moses. That helps me out sometimes. They grumbled against him despite the miracles that he did with the Red Sea and the miraculous food that God allowed for him to to be a part of and to participate in. Do y'all remember when manna came out of heaven? I want to believe that was pound cake, though. I mean, you read your Bible how you read your Bible, and I will read mine how I read mine. Bardo, that was pound cake. Can't nobody tell me nothing different. Pound cake is holy. Hey, now, come on now. Feel the weight of it. Uh, some of y'all caught that. Some of you catch it later. <laughs> Moses was amazing, but his leadership was flawed. He was an imperfect man. And if you like him, everything you like about him, you will love in Jesus. We start, y'all, with our Netflix season one of the Moses story. First thing we need to do, church, if we're going to enjoy season three of Moses' story is we have to have a recap of season one and two. This is what I love about Netflix and Hulu. They, they have a way of recapping the story so that if you're coming in in the middle, because some of us don't want to binge the whole thing, we want to jump right in the middle of it. And, and so they do something for us. They actually recap it for you so that you can catch up and be up to speed and so that you got some context so that you can understand what exactly is going on. And so I don't want anybody to be lost. I don't want to, I don't want to move on the assumption that everybody has read their Bibles, and so I want to make sure that we all are caught up. We're going to be in season one and season two. You say, how long is this sermon going to be? No, I'm going to go fast. See, in season one, see, in season one of our Netflix series, there is no Moses. Moses is not yet born in season one. But here's the ironic thing. Season one is written by Moses, although there is argument against that. It will make sense in in, in just a second. How can he not be born but yet be the writer of season one? Let's tell the biblical story up to Moses. In the beginning, God created the heavens in the what? In the earth. This is season one. The first words of the Old Testament written by Moses. By the way, see, most scholars believe when Moses spent time with God, God told Moses all about how life began. And only the one and true living God can tell you how life started. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody. Because only God 
was there when nothing else was there, that God stepped out on nothing, spoke to nothing. But by the time God was done, there was something. And in season one, episode one, God creates. And in season one, episode three, humans sin. That's your part, y'all. I know y'all was looking for a starring role. And then in episode four, it gets real dramatic and crazy because Cain murders Abel. And it goes downhill from there. If you haven't seen the Netflix show, you got to see it. Because when you get to episode six through nine, it's Noah in a flood and it's crazy. God sends two of everything on the ark and God spares humanity through the life of Noah. And then episode 11 is the Tower of Babel. And you see this division between mankind in episode 12. Introduces the only other person to rival Moses' greatness in the story, Father Abraham. And God calls Abraham and tells him to go to a land, the promised land. And he goes, but the promised son is very slow in coming. Finally, in his old age, God blesses Abraham with Isaac. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau, Jacob is the son of the promise who himself has 12 sons. Y'all think that power in those shows is something. You should see the Bible on Netflix. It was some tripped out stuff. In Genesis, seeing was on full display. And then Joseph, he is sold, he is sold into bondage and is taken as a slave to Egypt. And, and God blesses Joseph. And he becomes second in command to Pharaoh himself and eventually Jacob, his brothers and their family, about seven people, 70 people join him in Egypt. It's about, it's about 50 episodes total if you want to binge it all because we don't have time for it. But that's the summary of the whole book of Genesis. History nerds need a date and there's a debate, but we can place Israel coming to Egypt nearly 2,000 years before Christ. The great pyramids were there 1,000 years before Moses. This brings us to Exodus. The book of Exodus is the second of the five first books of the Old Testament. They are, they are together called the Torah or the Pentateuch, or you can say five seasons. And Joseph died, according to Exodus 1, 6 through 7. And Joseph died and all of his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased what? Greatly. They multiplied and grew. Y'all act like y'all don't read the Bible. Y'all don't see what's going on here. These people were fruitful. They're they not catching it, Mike. I don't think they will. It. Mm, okay. They mul Help me, Holy Ghost. They multiplied and grew exceedingly. See, the church doesn't have children church for no reason, y'all. So that the land was filled with them. Mama Bill, did you catch that? We know from the other places that verses 6 to 7 describes what happened over 400 years. And now I got to teach y'all. What is noted is that they multiplied like rabbits. Later number puts the nation of Israel at around 2 million people at the time of Exodus. Now they started with just 70 and they multiplied to two million rabbits. 
The land was filled with God's people. But what explains this phenomenal growth, not just what you think, but it is the blessing of God. Remember, God promises Abraham back in episode 12 that his descendants would be a great nation. See, if you skip over episode 12, you're not going to shout when you get to Exodus. You're not going to shout when you get to season two, because in season one, God made a promise to Abraham. And what I love about God, and I'm getting ahead of myself, that when God promises something, time cannot stop. What God has determined to happen. This requires some prolific reproduction. Egypt was apparently a romantic place to live. <laughs> Anybody want to go to Egypt? By the pyramids? Come back with a baby, I'm just saying. But more than that, Abraham is, is dead, y'all. No, Abraham not just dead, my bad. He's dead, dead. And God is still determined to keep his promise. Okay, you didn't shout. See, you ought to shout because it's hard for you to keep your promise to people who are living. Abraham is off the scene, and God is still committed to keeping his promises. See, y'all ain't shouting because y'all think that y'all holy and that y'all saved, but y'all know good and well. If you know you like I know me, we know that when it comes to keeping some promises, that it's difficult. And you say, Lord, if you remove them today, don't, don't just keep looking at me. I ain't got to keep this obligation. Forget it. Y'all ain't going to be real this morning. Lauren, they're they, they not going to tell the truth. They're not going to do it. They grew in number. In strength as God blessed them so greatly that the greatest empire of his day, one of the greatest in all of history, feared them. Okay, catch it now. Watch it now. They grew so, they, they expanded so much that one of the greatest empire in history is scared or, 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 or feared them. I think it's important to note here that this is usually where oppression is birthed. The mother of oppression is fear of losing power and money. Let me say it again. The mother of oppression is the fear of losing power and money. And out of fear, she gives birth to systems that, 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 that actually protects her power and her money at the expense of other image bearers. I'm going to let that, I'm going slow because I need you to catch this. I don't need this to go over your head. Out of fear, she gives birth to systems that protects her power and money at the expense of other image bearers. Because in that moment, people don't become our neighbor, but our problem or a threat to our supremacy. And this is precisely how the story develops in season two the enslavement of God's people. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Watch it now. See it for yourself. Come let us deal shrewdly with them. Lest they multiply and if war breaks out, 
They join, see, see the fear? They join our enemies and do what? Fight against us and escape from the land. Destroy us and escape. Therefore, they set taskmasters, here's the oppression, over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, that person and that person. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. I don't mean, I can act like you know how to say words. Just go on and say that, okay? The more, <laughs> the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard what? And mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field and all their works, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Watch the transition. While Joseph was alive, and soon after, the, the Hebrews had a privileged status. They were living good. But 400 years is a long time. And the dynasty of Egypt ebbed and flowed through various rulers. The time came when a new pharaoh with no allegiance to Joseph rose to power. He saw the teaming up of Israelites as a threat to his rule. If, if that many people united, they could overthrow him. See the fear? And friends, this is not foreign to us. This is not foreign framework. This is not foreign human behavior. This has happened many times in America towards black people, Hispanics, and Asians. We could talk about the deconstruction of black wealth. Think about the Tulsa, the, the, the Tulsa race massacre. Or we can talk about Jim Crow laws that legalized segregation and didn't allow for a fair distribution of, the opportun of opportunity and wealth. Or we can talk about how Asians were not permitted immigrants in the U.S. as they also were a threat to power. All of this will help us get an idea of how racist Pharaoh was during Moses' time. He bought into what Dr. the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King says, the myth of inferior peoples. The myth of inferior peoples. He also understood the connection between racism and economics, that they are inseparable. In this, although Pharaoh didn't value people, he saw value in people. What value? If people are a threat to your power, what is the best way to get to, 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 what is the best way to get the bang for your buck? Make them serve in a way that upholds your power. If people are a threat to your power, what is the best way to get, a, get your bang for your buck? Make them serve in a way that upholds your power. How about group-based exploitation? Let's turn our head quickly to our American history. The very fabric of American life and institution right is largely about power and was never simply a matter of individual hatred. One writer said, we might assume, as I had at one time, the Southerns during the 1950s and 60s just cautiously hated black Americans because of their skin color and sought at every turn to assure that their bitter colored foes would never have any rights in America let alone equal rights. But upon deeper inspection, 
it becomes clear that the, that, that the traditional segregationist discourse was more about preserving a specific way of life for white Americans, pitting the interests of Americans against their own ideals of freedom, religion, patriotism, and individual rights. And we see this in Pharaoh, in Egypt, right? What does he make them do? What better way to make the most of them than to turn them into indentured slaves? No, the text described is a bitter, hard service, oppression, and ruthless. Watch the text. Don't soften the language. Take it in. This is not a game. Can you imagine being in this kind of condition, not being able to move up the social ladder? Can you imagine not being able to look your kids in the eye and tell them that you can be what you want to be? Can you imagine them equipping their kids for the societal deconstruction of the Egyptian towards the Israelites? Can you imagine the conversations that was happening in the homes of the Israelites when they talked to their children at the dinner table? Friends, we cannot play games when it comes to injustice it is real better way the terrible conditions and treatments would linger in the collective memory of Israel for generations oh when you read through the Bible the people of Israel are continually reminded of of their oppression but in spite of all of that they kept growing you would think such conditions would retract their population, right? We found this out during the pandemic. Hard times don't stop multiplication. <laughs> it actually increases it. Amen, somebody. The nursery grew during the pandemic. The more they were, it's okay to laugh. You can laugh. It's all right. Chuckle it up. <laughs> The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. I want my power to reach, to grow beyond, beyond my reach of Egypt. And so I'm going to use these people. What can I do? But they're growing and they're multiplying. And I don't want them to destroy, but I still kind of need them. So, Pharaoh, what are you going to do? all legalized genocide. And this is what we find in season two of episode two, the genocide of God's people. Watch the text. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one whom was named Sophara and the other Pa, when you serve as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, watch this, y'all. Oh, my goodness. Watch this. You shall kill him. I mean, I need y'all, like this dude, Pharaoh, like this dude is no, not playing games about his power. He said, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she should live. First, check out the Ida B. Wells of Moses' day. Because these women took a stand against power, even at the risk of their own lives. They chose justice over living these midwives. Why? The Bible says because they fear God over Pharaoh. And friends, you ought to fear God more than you fear man. Come here, Jesus, and preach to God's people. Don't fear those who can destroy the body, but fear the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. They fear God over Pharaoh. Not surprising. 
Midwives were known to be healers covering over, over mothers, right? They had all kind of healings and things that they would do. And many people would confuse that with, you know, witchcraft and things like that. But you got to do your own research in that. I'm sure they experienced power in the presence of God, not only by doing their sacred vocation, but needing to lean on his power, all the more having a double prejudice against them, both being Hebrew and being women. Pharaoh calls in two midwives. I always wonder how two women could possibly handle all the births of so many people. I, I, I read the suggestion, these were the head midwives, and likely so. Pharaoh says, when the Hebrew women give birth, if it's a girl, it lives. If it's a boy, it dies. A more modern example would be China. One-child policy started in 1979. Since sons were more able to care for gaining parents, girls born were often abandoned. This has created a huge gender problem in China with not enough girls and moms. China changed its policy in 2016. But it gives an example of how such a policy could have wiped out Israel as a people group over a few generations. But the Bible says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives comes, comes, comes to them. And these midwives face down the most powerful man in the world. Is, is what they say true? The birth happens before they got there? It's hard to say entirely true. I suspect that after the edict went out, the Israelites stopped calling the midwives, which I would have too. <laughs> oh, I had someone uh, help you give birth, and there's a 50% chance they're going to take your kid out. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not going. I don't know about you, but I'm not going now. And they're going to toss my baby into the now? No, I ain't better do that. This was actually a coordinated effort by the Jews. It was their own civil rights movement. It was their own boycott. We would do the same for the sake of our children. Yes, they gave birth before the midwives showed up because the midwives weren't showing up at all. And what's God's response? So God dealt well, well with the midwives. And the people, I don't know why God keeps saying this, but he keeps saying this. Uh, the people multiplied. I just keep saying, they just keep growing. What are they, like four million? I don't know. And grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. The genocide expanded from the midwives to every Egyptian who was commanded to kill male Jewish babies, kill them before they take over. Well, this is the end of, of season two. Uh, Pharaoh is on an all-out mission to... To, to, to confine the people of Israel. He's on an all-out mission to, to actually kill all of the male sons. He wants them not to rise to power, but he wants to remain in power. He wants to remain the supremacy amongst the people. He wants his name to be, uh, he wants his name to be revered. He wants himself to be feared. And we see this at the end of season two. Uh, but maybe you're wondering, what about season three? You're going to have to come back next week for that. <laughs> but with every good Netflix, with every good Stars ep uh, uh, show, with every good Hulu series, there is always talk 
on social media. I don't know if you caught it, but if you're with the trend today, if there's a popular show like the new Bear Lair, you can go on social media and people are talking. And usually the talk goes a little bit like, if I was Monet, I would do this. Keep looking at me. If I was Carlton, I would do this. If I was them, I would do this. And what they're doing is they're trying to give application to the episode that they just saw. They want to apply that episode to their life. And what I want to do this morning and what we'll do throughout this series is that we want to stop and give application. We, we want to look at the text and then we want to apply it to our own lives. That is application. Our teaching approach to this series would generally work through the text, then ask, how do we apply this today? How do we know this is the right approach? Look at what Paul says in the New Testament about Moses and all the things that the Israelites went through. He said, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for what? On whom the end of the age has come, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Why did God do all that he did in the Old Testament? Why did he send Israel through 400 years of slavery only to deliver them? Because God wants us to know what kind of God he is and what kind of people we ought to be. God does all this so so that we know what kind of God he is and what kind of people we ought to be. He says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. What he did and how he did it tells us what sort of God he is. In chapter 1, here are a few things we see about him. Number one, church, human power cannot frustrate God's purposes and promises. Oh, that's good all by itself. Oh, that'll preach. You ought to give God praise this morning. I see I got some people that I ain't got to preach hard to. You got your own Exodus story. That's why you're celebrating God right now, but you just hold on to your shout. I got to catch the rest of them up in the room. I'm going to say it again. Human power cannot frustrate God's purposes in his promises. Pharaoh, I don't care how much money you got. I don't care how big your army is. I don't care who you know. I don't care about your network. I don't care who you know in the White House. Friends, we got a God who sits on high and looks down low. And though Pharaoh got some power, hey, now, God got all power. And you ain't shouting now because a day is coming in your life that you ain't going to need some folks with some power. You're going to need a God with all power. One day you're going to go to the doctor and the doctor's not going to have enough power for your situation. You're going to go to the lawyer and the lawyer is not going to have enough power for your situation. Excuse me, David. One day you'll go to the dentist and the dentist won't have enough power for your situation. But friends, you serve a God that doesn't have limited power. He has all power. Oh, yes, he has all power. And Moses knew about him because when he showed Moses in episode one of season one that he's the God that creates, Moses knew that he was the God of all power. The most powerful man in the world. The most powerful man in the world. This is why the Bible kept saying, and they kept multiplying. Y'all missed it. Because God made a promise to Abraham in season one that he would multiply him, right? And so what God keeps reminding us, what he keeps playing back, every time he said, and they multiplied, you can replace that. And God kept his word. And God kept his word. And God kept his word. You can replace it with that. 
And what we see is that though Pharaoh is trying to undo what God has done through, through the use of enslavement, he, oh, that didn't work. He said, okay, enslavement didn't work, so let me try another evil too. Let me try genocide. Let me try ethocide. Did it work? Everything he tried to strengthen them, they multiply. It doesn't even make sense. It doesn't make sense. Pharaoh should be winning the game. Even the great Pharaoh, the leader of the greatest empire of his day. This is going to help somebody this morning because you got your own Pharaoh and you got your own things that you're going against. And I need you to hop in the text this morning. I need you to get down to earth this morning. I need you to see what the people of Israel is. Look at Pharaoh, the leader of the greatest empire of his day, could not frustrate the work and promises of God. And oh, there's so many other examples of this, but none better than the enemies of Jesus. Y'all remember Jesus, the one that they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and they pierced his side. Y'all don't know who I'm talking about. Yo, Jesus, who keeps you in perfect peace. Y'all don't know who I'm talking about. The Jesus who heals the blind. Y'all don't still don't know who I'm talking about. The Jesus who can multiply a lunchable and feed 5,000, who turns water into wine. That Jesus, y'all remember him. Jesus has some enemies, too. Oh, y'all don't remember when Herod tried to kill baby Jesus? Y'all don't remember when, when Judas tried to betray him? You know, I always wondered, Jesus, you knew you had a snitch among you, and y'all know how we do, right? We don't, we, don't, we, we, we don't play with traitors, right? And so here's Judas, a traitor, and Jesus allows Judas into his inner circle. Why would you, why would you do that? Now, come on, let's, let's, let's be real. Let me, let's, let's all get on the same page real fast, okay? Because y'all, y'all, y'all hiding holy right now. Let me break it down, Stephen. Here it is. Here it is. If you knew somebody was phony and backstabbing you, would you let them in your circle? Come on now, be honest, be honest. You probably have a couple words for them that you can't say in church, but you can say in the parking lot. Let's keep it real. But Jesus lets him into his circle. And the reason why he lets him into his circle, because not even Judas can frustrate the plans of God. Come here, Pilate, who crucified Jesus. And Jesus stands before government power. And Pilate says, do you know who I am? And what does, what does Jesus say? You wouldn't have no power if my father didn't put you in your place. Come here, Satan, who killed Jesus. Didn't he succeed on the cross? Didn't he kill him? Yes, he did. He killed him and to death died, didn't he? But on the third day, he rose with all power in his hands because kings and governors and falling archangels cannot frustrate the purposes of God. Now just wait, y'all, until we get into episode four and the plagues show up. And earthly power always ends up bowing to the Almighty, don't it? I mean, earthly power always ends up saying that Jesus is Lord of all. Bethel, Gary, what are you worried about? God can handle your Pharaoh. Even when it appears our enemies have the better hand, God is working things out for our good. Uh, Leanne, I bring an illustration because I knew that the people of God would be confused. Anybody? Anybody know what these is? Hold on. I thought I had this open already. And they're messing up my illustration. I'm going to open this thing up. Look at that. I should have. 
I said, hey, but, but hey, Satan can't frustrate God's plan with these cars. I'm going to get these cars up out of here. I mean, here it is. Anybody, anybody know what these are? Y'all know what these are. Now, some of y'all about to get, now, so, now some of y'all about to get a cultural lesson. I tried to find my card table, but I couldn't find it. It was a little green, little card table. Anybody know what spades is? Come on, come on, James. Y'all know what spades is. Now, I love a good game of spades. Now, here's the thing about spades is that spades, you deal the cards. It's four people at the table. You got, you got two people on this side. You got two people on this side. Each person has a partner, a man, somebody. Now, one time I was playing spades, y'all. I'm just letting y'all live my business. They dealt me a hand. And, when, when, and you know, when you pick up your, your cards and you look at them and they slam them down, that means that's not a good hand. That's not a good hand. <laughs> And they dealt me a hand, y'all. Stephen, they dealt me a hand, and it was a bad hand. Oh, when I seen my hand, I, I, I started to melt in my seat because I was talking trash before I got to the table. I said, y'all messing with the spade key. Y'all don't know about me, but you gon' know about me. When I pull up to this spade table, you know talking all that trash, and then you get that hand. And when you ever got that hand and you swallow, and you, look at, and you look at your opponents and you say, how y'all doing? And they look at you and say, you know what's going on. And they smiling and they smirking like, oh, yeah. No, we ain't going bored. We want eight bucks. We going eight bucks. We going, are y'all going eight bucks? That's where y'all going eight? Y'all going eight bucks? Eight? Oh, eight, okay, okay. And I, look at, and I look at my partner and I say, partner, we going bored. We going bored. And here's the thing about spades. It doesn't just matter what you got in your hand. Oh, it matters what your partner got in their hand. Oh, I'm preaching far better than y'all talking to me. Here it is, y'all. Come here, church. Here it is. Let, let me tell you. I looked over at my partner, and my partner is smiling and, and got joy in her heart and got peace in her soul. And I'm like, what you smiling about? And what you joking about? We got to go, boy. He said, no, we going 10. Because, Dexter, if you knew what I had in my hand, you would have the same joy and the same peace and the same joy that I have. You just don't know what I got in my hand, friends. I'm trying to preach to you this morning. What I'm trying to say is that what Israel didn't know, although they were on the bottom, they were getting ready to go to the top. Although they were slaves and economically poor and oppressed and was going against a system that was not for them, what they didn't know is that they had a partner on the other side of the table who had all power. He didn't have some power, but he had all power. He had Pharaoh in his hands. He had his army in his hands. And Lord behold, they're going to see that he got the sea in his hand, that he got manna in his hand, that he got light in his hands, that he holds the world in his hands. Friends, it don't matter just what you got in your hand. It matters what your partner got in their hands. And what Israel didn't know is that when God makes a promise, he becomes your partner. And friends, if you're in the promises of God, you are a partner of God. And if you're a partner of God, pardon me this morning, church, you ought to shout, you ought to celebrate, you ought to sing. It doesn't matter where you're standing right now. 
by the time God's done. Y'all, we was at that table. Remember, I was talking junk at the beginning. I looked at my partner. My partner had joy. My opponents was talking trash. By the time the game was over, my partner was taking cards and slamming them on the table. And you know when they start slamming them on the table, some of y'all getting a cultural lesson. Here it is. When they start slamming it on the table, that means you might as well say, game's over. <laughs> Friends, all I'm trying to say is one day, God's going to start slamming cards on the table. In the game, matter of fact, the game ain't going to be over. On Calvary, he started slamming cards on the table. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, sin, where is your power? God starts slamming cards on the table. And you know what I did? I just stood up and I started celebrating with my partner. Why? Because the game was already over. I wish I had some folks in the room that are standing their feet. Because you know who your spade player is. You know who you got on your side. You know who's riding with you. Your marriage may not speak to it. Your situation may not speak to it. But you got a spade partner. Isn't he good, church? Isn't he a good partner? Oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. Not only does he deal the cards, but he rules over the cards. And he situates them in such a way that by the time it's all said and done, yeah, he gets all the glory. Uh, you know, after that game of space, I had to go over and I had to, I had to shake my partner's hand. <laughs> I did. I had to express my gratitude, Stephen. Because without my partner's hand, I would have been a done deal. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't take the credit. No, I couldn't. Yeah. I knew the books on that paper was not because of me. But it was because I'm still preaching, y'all. I need to sit down, Leanne. I'm going too long. But, 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 but I had to thank him. I thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you. We could have went down and we could have went under. But, but, but my partner showed up and then I had to give him up. Friends, what I'm trying to tell you is that sometimes you got to just go hug God. You just got to thank God. When you look on the paper and you see all those books that you won, that ain't because of you. That ain't because of your intellect. That ain't because of your degrees. That's not because of your economic experience. There's some folks in the room that when they look at the books, they know that that didn't come from their hand. Oh, I got some seasoned saints that's ready to shout already because they know they've been in spades before and they know how it is. But what can we develop from all of that? When you approach when you approach that that table and you got a bad hands, church, I want you to approach it with confidence. This is what we see in the midwives, right? They they stood up to Pharaoh, not because they were big and strong, because they knew who their God was. They knew who their God was. Come on, worship team is coming back at this time. They knew who their God was. And they stood up against the powers of the day. Friends, when you come back, you're going to realize that God is going to deliver the Israelites. Not because 
they're better than the Egyptians. But because God has promised them grace. And grace doesn't require any prerequisites, friends. Grace comes because it comes. And God will show up for them. And God plans his plans to raise up a man to deliver his people. God will fight for his people through chosen Moses. Come next week for season three. We'll learn how this card game unfolds.